the road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. We're your hosts, Heather and Donnie Mosier. I'm here. You're here. You're barely here. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> Donnie's injured. He injured his back like the old grandpa that he is. Oh, I feel like it. And uh, and so, yeah, we spent Saturday in urgent care uh, trying to figure out. They think it's just muscle, so he'll live, I guess. I just got to put up with you till you're better, but we're here. M- much to your dismay, you won't <laughs> be getting that insurance money yet. Not yet. Uh, the Relevant Recovery Radio Show is sponsored by the Matthews Hope Foundation. We have a two-week medical safety talks inside St. Joseph's Hospital downtown, followed with two years of free recovery support and aftercare. And so we have an amazing new website. You can check it out, www.mhdrp.org. Don't do it. Herbert.org. <laughs> People will remember it. People will remember it. I think it's hilarious. Or you can give us a call if you have any questions about our program. Our number is 844-263-4673. I'm the spiritual wellness director and the recovery support team lead for the Matthew Tope Detox Program. And I think Melanie wanted me to give out her personal number over the air today <laughs> she did not. to help people. No? Oh, okay. <laughs> and so uh, we are- We're going to ba- start talking about Nick, too. I need to get to know Nick so Nick's I can make- great. We got a whole cool team helping people yeah. get and stay sober. People can get sober. It's the staying sober. That's the hard part. That's the hard part. Before I got sober, I got sober about 150,000 times. Yeah. Yeah. I got sober a lot. I just didn't stay sober. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, And so we have a wonderful program that I really believe- helps people stay sober. Right now, our success rate of the people following our full care model is about 85 to 90% are staying sober, which is ridiculously awesome. That's pretty good. Um, and also to the eight people who listen to the show, we appreciate it. Um, <laughs> Thank you, listeners. Yeah, you can hear us live in Houston on Sundays at 1 o'clock on KPRC 950. You can also go to the iHeartRadio app. Download it. Uh, yep. KPR, free. KPRC has a channel where mm-hmm. you can listen to them live on there, or you can hear all of our past episodes on our podcast channel, which is Relevant Recovery Radio. Yep. We have our own channel. All of our past episodes are there. And you can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, every week I post yeah. our pages. Our How's the engagement there? Are people actually cool. messaging you there or are they just checking Sometimes it out? Sometimes there's some cool comments. There's some other programs. I like to share information about other programs, maybe not even in Houston, uh, no. to network. And so there's a there's a whole plethora of like counseling and uh, aftercare and IOP and just people with experience um, navigating life in recovery. And so we want, just want to make those connections. So you can we want to get the there. word out there. We want to get our listenership to 10. That's <laughs> our goal this year. We can get 10 people that listen. Maybe. That would be amazing. So uh, what's our, what is our topic for today? So I'm glad that everybody's listening. Uh, I'm excited about this topic. The topic today- That we came up with last night. We came night. up with it last night. Because you and I, every week we talk about it. If we're not having a guest on this show, we really spend time- literally talking and in prayer and meditation trying to figure out what topics may might help somebody this yeah. is this is just a podcast that i get the opportunity to do with you for my yeah. work um but it's a good time it's a good time you know but today's topic is 
turning pain into purpose. Mm, pain into purpose. Because this is a common theme, even if you're not a drug addict or alcoholic, we're going to talk about it from lots of different aspects, but everybody that goes through life has some level of pain, some level of trauma, some level of something. I think no matter what the addiction is, there is guilt and shame that accompany it. For sure. It, if it's an addiction. And so I want to talk about... <laughs> Unless you're just an awful person, you just really don't care. You're like, I'm going to do this till I die. I don't, <laughs> I don't care. Think, you know, I mean, sometimes you get the progression of the illness gets you there. I know I kind of got there. Yeah. And then God saved me. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. And so pain into purpose is a unique idea. I don't think the 12-step world came up with it by any means. Um, but it is something that we kind of uh, create a lifestyle around. Um, so here's the thing. The book talks about us being able to turn our darkest past into our greatest asset when we use it to help others. The other beauty of pain is it's what? It's the... The greatest motivator. And it's the touchstone. Touchstone of all spiritual growth. That's right. And so it's not that pain isn't going to happen in life. It is. Mm. But it's the question of how you're going to respond to it and what you're going to do with it can make all the difference. Timothy Keller says that humans were made to suffer. Yeah. That, that's how we progress. It, yeah. Is through suffering. And so I want so the people that want a life of no suffering. Uh, sorry. I was reading a book that was talking about addiction or even society just having this disease of uh, too much comfort mm -hmm. that we, we as a society through technology, through whatever, we are in sub, such a comfort crisis. Oh, I think that, the Western civilization, we're sure. in a definite comfort crisis. Comfort crisis. And we don't want to go through pain. We want life to always be rainbows and butterflies and everything is good. And Right. Like, hey, so I went and did four years of college for a worthless degree. And now I just want the government to go ahead and forgive it. Can you guys just go ahead and forgive my loan that I... I don't want to pay it back. Right. right? I signed for it, but I don't feel like paying it. <laughs> I want to be comfortable. And it just makes everything mean nothing then. Right. right? Like stuff like that. And so I can talk about... Pain, turning my pain into purpose from a lot of different angles, not just recovery, but recovery sure is one of them. Mm -hmm. I think uh, that's where we figured it out. That's where I definitely figured out the secret sauce in it. Because here's the deal. The years that I was not sober, whether it was alcohol or meth or heroin, I went through a lot of pain <laughs> and I wanted to be sober and I wanted to see my kids again. I was separated from them for many years, as our listeners know. Um, a lot of bad things happened to me mm -hmm. um, due to the horrible people I was surrounding myself with. Mm -hmm. in, mm -hmm. in general. Water seeks its own level. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and uh, a, lot of, a lot of pain came to me through those years. Yeah. And one of the coolest first gifts I received in recovery was being able to say, hey, telling my fifth step to my sponsor and talking to her about it. And her being like, yeah, me too. Here's how I navigated that. And here's where I'm at with it today. And here's how I seek God around that. And so. And that was her using her past pain and her regret and her shame and her guilt yep. as a tool. Right. And so it became paramount for me to learn how to do that in my own spiritual walk, in my own recovery. And so I am just grateful that all of the things that I went through now I get to use it to help others. I get to share it with another girl that I get to sponsor. I love it. So check it out. We are going to talk about how to use something that is regret, pain, shame, guilt and to help it others. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how it works. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio with Heather and Donnie Mosher. Hi. Hi. We're talking about turning pain into purpose. And the example I was giving before we Would went- that work with the physical pain that your wife puts on you during a marriage? <laughs> How do you turn that into something good when your wife abuses you? Yeah. You're making a joke and um, I don't abuse you. I wish I could sometimes. Oh. Um, you know, psychological warfare is sufficient for me most of the time. I don't have to actually lay hands on you. So that's my go-to. That's true. Um, most men, well, mature men who are wise understand <laughs> that a woman's physical abuse is from the inside out. <laughs> well, back to topic though, Donnie, get with it. Here- so, so tell me the first time, What what is the first instance? What is the first thing that, that was pain into a spiritual tool for you to help somebody? Here's something really cool. So right away, I worked the steps quickly, mm-hmm. and uh, I was about seven, eight weeks sober when I started sponsoring other women and taking them through the, the first 11 steps, you know? And um, th- I can remember the second girl ever that I sponsored, the second girl that ever asked me, she asked me outside of a clubhouse and began the process. I really didn't know her. We weren't in the same circle. She didn't know my, me or my story. And uh, I'm sitting down with her at her sober house, listening to her fist up and of course she's going through her resentment inventory and she gets to her mom and she starts reading her resentment inventory and her mom and her mom also um, had schizophrenia when she was a child and there was a lot of traumatic or painful things that were identical to mine my story Mm. (laughs) that had happened to this girl as she's reading it I'm like jaw dropped I'm like hold on wait wait I stopped her And I got my inventory notebook out, had it with me, and I started reading to her my resentment inventory that I had written on my mom when I was doing my four-step. And she started crying. And and I was I got tearful and I was like, Did you know that I had this same thing when when you asked me to sponsor you? And she had a clue and I had no clue. And that was the first moment where I realized how cool for God to put this person in my life Mm -hmm. to have her ask me to sponsor her. And I have an identical experience, not just with the drugs and the alcohol, but also with this mother schizophrenic, you know, stuff going on and all the weird traumatic self-perceptions that come from that that lifestyle. And so I was able to share with her what God had shown with me and what he was doing in me and how I was seeking to overcome it. And here's what I realized after all of that. I realized that the pain that I had been carrying around for 34 years, blaming my mom for this or that. It started to alleviate. It started to leave me. It started to not rent space in my mind anymore. Because you were using it as a tool? I was using it as a tool to help someone else. So you felt no more shame or you felt no more... So with that, I I wasn't feeling shame. I was feeling uh, resentment, anger. Mm. So did the Um, anger leave you? It started to leave. It wasn't like overnight. But I realized how cool... like. That was a God moment. That was a light bulb moment where it was starting to make sense, where it says in the book, our darkest darkest past become our greatest assets. And I realized that all the tough stuff that I have went through, maybe I'm going to get to use each one of those experiences to help another girl that's had the same experience. And I want to talk for a second about how different that is from therapy. Okay, because... Anyone can go to therapy and they'll have a therapist that affirms their feelings Mm -hmm, and they'll mm -hmm. say, you know, who did what to you and how did it make you feel? Mm -hmm. And in the 12 step world, we go, we do that. Who did what and how did it make you feel? And then there's a whole nother level to it. Why are you still carrying it around? 
What are you using it what for? What are you using it for? Do you still use it to, to protect yourself? Are you still lacking vulnerability in your life as a result of this? Why are you living in the past and not in the present? Mm. And, and, and in the 12-step world, we kind of strip away those labels that therapy doesn't. It's like, oh, well, this was a trauma response. And Okay, but are you going to stop? Right. When do the trauma responses stop? When do you outgrow? When are you actually healed? What I have seen in in my experience dealing with people that are in pain or dealing with just human beings, human, mm-hmm. right? We're not human beings trying to have a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings trying to have a human experience. Yeah, and, and the human experience, experience is the painful side of it. Right. And the problem is, is that, um, or, or what I have seen happen um, throughout all this time is that some people will come in or they will have this experience they had mm-hmm. and somehow that becomes who they are. Exactly. It becomes their persona. Mm-hmm. Like, like I was saying, the labels. I am a person who was molested and then they're that person for the rest of their life. I am a person who was physically abused and they are just the physically, they, they take it on like it's label. them and it's not them. And that's what I began to realize the more that I sponsored and the more that I shared my dark past with someone else and, and that spiritual growth of the real healing started to happen. I started to realize that I had worn all these labels. I'm the bad seed. I'm the, I'm the, you know, the bad apple in the family. I'm the black sheep. I'm this, I, all these different labels. I'm not desired or wanted or whatever it is. Those really began to fade there was there. I, I wasn't. Did they fade? When were you cognizant that they were just something that you that was becoming a persona? Like, were you cognizant that of what it was and that it was starting to leave you, or did that come later? No, it's like I was just gaining a new identity. I was mm. finding out who I was, and it wasn't those things that I had labeled myself as. Okay. It, I wasn't super cognizant of the connections at the time. Uh, I was just realizing through this program, through these tools, through helping others, um, I'm finding out who I really am, and it's not who I thought I was. I was painfully unaware of who I was. What I realized is I was spending my whole life either living in the past, a day that doesn't exist today, or I was future-tripping about worries or wants for in the future. And I was never living in the present. And, and today what I feel really passionately what the 12-step world has given us is the ability to live in today. And, and the power to help others based on the things that I used to be so ashamed of I didn't want to talk about. Right, right. I mean, when, when, I, got, when I got sober, I think the first for me was I was un... It was unbelievable that I could actually... So I, I too went through the steps fairly quickly, got done in about 60 days... And I picked up my first sponsee at 90 days. Now, poor guy, right? I don't know what I had to offer him. <laughs> you had experience with the first 11 steps. But what I really did have to offer him is that I was still sober 90 days. And that was a landmark for me because prior to going into the fellowship, I couldn't put together more than a week. And I remember thinking the same thing, like, because I'm a heroin addict, right? And I just remember thinking, we die. Yeah. We don't get well. Heroin. I mean, in the end, your friends used to have you do your heroin on a sheet of plastic or a blanket so they could just roll you up. Yeah, in case I died. Yeah, you know that's the, crazy. That is that's crazy to me, by the way. But that's evidently the, the heroin water, world. That, that's the world I was in at the time, and um, and I just thought I was being a good friend by getting high on the rug for them. Right? right? It's so crazy. We'd talk about who got my car if I died. I think one of the big things. So for you, that the big thing was. 
Here's the beauty. I couldn't stay sober, right? And I just remember thinking there was so much shame and guilt attached to telling my parents or telling people I loved that cared about me, I'm doing it this time. I promise things are <laughs> going to be it different. Times. Or I'd leave jail or I would, you know, and yeah. I just had so such a desire to keep my word because I really did want to be sober. And so all the relapses for all those years, there was a lot of disappointment in myself and shame and guilt attached to that because I did not understand the disease of alcoholism. I had no clue what was wrong with me. When I, when I got sober, I was also an atheist. And I mean militant atheist. Uh, for the first nine months going to meetings, I would not say the Lord's Prayer at the end of the meeting. I would just remain silent because I wasn't going to do this thing and I think one of the greatest gifts, because one of the things that you mentioned is that that sponsee had no idea about your past. No idea. But God put you all together. Sure did. And and that's what I have found throughout my sobriety is that God will pair me with people who need something from my past to help them. Yep. And he paired me with a sponsor who also had some issues with religion and had some issues. And little did this guy know, his name was John, and little did he know that the information he was giving me was laying a foundation for me to find God. Right. Because he wasn't a Christian, he wasn't religious, but the stuff he gave me was a, a door opener for me. It was something that I would use later on. Right. So don't go anywhere. We will be back in a few minutes and we're gonna talk a little bit more about how we are taking the things from our past that we regret and turning them into tools to help people in our future. Mm-hmm. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio with your hosts, Heather and Donnie Mosier. I'm halfway here. You're you're halfway here, that's for sure. We're talking about turning pain into purpose in all the different ways. Um, We have shed away the shame or the guilt or the regret of past and used it to help others. Some of the things we swore we would never tell anyone. Right. Right. These are things that are are deep, dark secrets that when we get sober, it's like, cool, I'm going to tell them all this, but I am not touching that. I remember one of the things I had the biggest levels of shame or guilt or regret around would be in my early sobriety from one month sober to three months sober. It was about a two month span that uh, promiscuity was a huge issue for me. I was very much seeking validation from men uh, and did not have any healthy boundaries around that. And so, yeah, I may have been through the steps and sponsoring other people and running a sober house and, and staying sober. Um, but I had a lot of shame and guilt around the secret behavior that I had with men. And I really didn't want to tell anybody. And um, God wasn't going to let me get away with that and continue that behavior and stay sober. Because you had worked the steps, had a spiritual awakening, and you had now a connection. Yeah, I had tapped into a real conscious contact with God through that process. And so I started to have conviction or guilt around things that, that I didn't before. For people that don't, don't understand what you're talking about, what, is that, what does that look like? What is that conviction? Is it something that you hear audibly in your head like a schizophrenic? Or? Uh, <laughs> well, uh, one time. Yes, but I'll tell you that in a second. Oh, Lord. Um, It was like not audible. No, but listen, it was just like I would leave with a guy. We'd go to a date or whatever, do stuff and come back and I'd be alone in my sober house room and I would just really like feel icky. Mm. It wouldn't sit right in my spirit. It was like, why did I just do that? 
Did you ever get one of those um, downloads we talk about? And, well, I did. Eventually, once, I was about three months sober, and I had done something, uh, poor sex conduct, I'll say, and leave it general like that. And I came back filled with so much regret and shame, and I'm thinking, how can I even tell my sponsor what I just did, much less anybody else? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was flipping through the pages of our big book, and I was on page 70, and it says, if you are sorry for your conduct... Uh, and we believe God will forgive you and, and all of this. But it says if you're not sorry and your conduct continues to harm, you're sure to drink again. It says th- we're not theorizing. These are facts about our experience. This is our experience. That's but that right. was the first time that I read that and people have quoted that to me multiple times over the years. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I ever really received the message of what it was saying. And for the first time in my life, I regretted who I was actively being. I regretted who I was. It wasn't that God was just sending me crappy dudes and I was just a victim because that's the attitude I took all along. A lot of women do and a lot of men do. And it was like, no, God was actually saying, you chose this. There was not a gun to your head. You went willingly. You did this. This is on you. And I'm not going to let you stay sober and continue to do that. It's that saying that we have, water seeks its own level. I hear from guys, you hear from girls, I just keep getting these. No, No. (laughs) you're just like her. That's the The problem. Why don't you try to be better? The truth is, is I, I wasn't going to attract better unless I was better. And I wasn't better. And so um, I remember crying, reading that, sitting on the floor of my sober house, regretting my conduct. And, I, and I'm just asking, like, God, how do I change this? I don't want to do this anymore, but I don't know how to change it or just, boop, have healthy boundaries with dudes. Beep, you know, beep, bop, boop. And then what happened was God answered me. And this is like in my consciousness, like a God download. It wasn't like audibly out loud. Just information, information. that you have, but it's a lot of information all at it once. It was a lot of information in an instance, but the, the information was basically saying, don't date or have sex or interact with men in any capacity for the next three months. And I answered God out loud and I said, how? Right. And God did not answer me anymore. That Thank was goodness. he told me he had already convicted me or told me that what I needed to do, and so I now panicked. it was now it was now it was up to me to take action. It was go with what your gut was telling you, what your consciousness was telling you, mm-hmm. or fight against it, which we see so many do, and which thing, we have done in the past. True. Here's the thing that I think people get wrong. People will say, "Just surrender that to God." Oh, give it up. Just let go and let God. Just turn it Just over. Just turn it over. And <laughs> and I I want to scream that at say those that, people. By the way, don't do it because they don't have no clue how. Right. And so in that moment, like when I was thinking, okay, I need to let go and give this promiscuity issue to God, my mind is screaming, but how? Mm. And that's what God answered me. He gave me a little bit of a blueprint on how, but I didn't know how to execute that blueprint. Mm -hmm. So I panicked and I got my best friend in the sober house, Michelle. I got my sponsor. I got another woman. I got three women involved. And I said, here's what God's asking me to do. Help. Mm -hmm. I gave them my cell phone. Uh, they taught me how to respond. They responded for me for a while. To set boundaries. They taught me boundaries. <clears throat> uh, they didn't let me go to meetings with men or sit with men or go and did. Like, for three months, I got so close to women and God during that time that he completely rewrote me for the inside out. And I have excellent boundaries ever since then with men. We always talk about that when we put ourselves in, in God's hands that the outcome is always better than we think it's going to be. So you went into that thinking, I've got a problem with men. I need that fixed. But what came out of it was you were able to set boundaries with men. And now for the first time in your life, you had relationships with women. And not only that, I became my sane and sound. I became a higher level of water to seek. Right. Mm. And so I was changed from the inside out. I was no longer going to even be attracted to or entertain what I used to. God was trying to level you up because he knew I was in your future. (laughs) He's trying to get you up there. God leveled me up. But here's the cool thing. As I continue to 
God sends me tons of women that are struggling with or living in the same stuff that I was, and I get to use that past pain, that past shame, that past guilt, that past regret, and say, here's what God did with me. And so they're like, okay, is that what I'm supposed to do? I don't know. You right. better ask God. Well, and that's that's what we want to keep reiterating is when, when I'm in a meeting and I share or whatever, somebody comes up after and says, hey, Donnie, I want you to sponsor me. We don't go through a resume, Mm-mm. right? It's like, okay, here's how I sponsor. Here's what I do. If you're down with that, let's do it. It's through the process, the process that all of those things come out. And and I'm telling you, almost 10 out of 10 times, at some point I go, ah, this mm-hmm. is why God had him choose me. Yeah, it's so cool. And you had some cool experiences uh, around playing the quiet game with your mother. Well, and the other thing <laughs> I want to mention just briefly, um, just because it still has the power to damage others, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very brief about it. But prior to sobriety and unfortunately early in sobriety, there was some infidelity in my life. I, oh, yeah, you're, me, you're infidelity. Yeah. Um, and it's crazy that after I worked through that with a sponsor that, by the way, had experience, with had experience with it, literally in the next year, nine different men randomly came to me, asked me if I had experience and I was able to help them. Isn't that cool? And it was, oh, it's amazing, But that's right? what we mean about because turning it was something pain I was, into purpose. But it's something I was shameful of. It was, I was so guilt-ridden and so shameful. Like, how did I do this to another person? How could I have, how could I ever hold my head up based on what I did? And God is like, here's how. First of all, I forgive you. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I'm going to use you. Yeah. You now have a purpose. Uh, uh, and the other thing was that my, uh, my mom, uh, my mom was pretty much a prescription drug addict from, when I was a young kid until she passed. And she died two years ago, right? She well, died a year and a half. January of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, for 11 years, and this is quite a bit of chunk into my sobriety, um, I did not talk to her at all. And it, under the guise that I was protecting myself. that Self-preservation, <coughs> right? Doing right. this to protect my... I remember when we met and started dating, I thought it was absolutely crazy that you were five years sober and had never made direct amends to your mom. Right. And, and and so I was trying to like nudge you with some comments. It was not technically my business, but God took care of it. He nudged you in a different way. Well, in his way. Yeah. Right. So I had already done, a, you and I will do inventories two or three times a year. Yeah. An inventory is just to look at our grosser handicaps, to look at um, the causes and conditions of why we act and react the way that we do. And so I'll do that two or three times a year. And I had done one that year, the year that I called her. And um, and what came out of that inventory was that I would help any human being walking into the rooms of our 12-step fellowship, but I wouldn't help my own mother. Hypocrite. I would love anyone that came in that room, but I wouldn't love my own mother. And I wouldn't it, be unconditional started, and tolerant with her. When that truth was revealed to you, you started it started to not sit right with you. Oh, God put it on my heart. And so what happened is that I had a, a fifth step. I had a I was sponsoring a guy and we're sitting down to talk and uh, and he starts telling me about some issues that he had with his mom and me <laughs> giving him advice. <laughs> being the idiot that, I started giving him mom advice. <laughs> and after that, it didn't sit well, right? It was like, okay, it didn't sit well. It was like, uh, the following Saturday, I had another sponsee. We're doing another fifth step. And when that sponsee started talking about issues between he and his mom, and I went to say something, this still small voice inside me said, you have no right. Yeah. 
And I knew, I knew what it meant. I knew that I had no right to give somebody advice on something that I had never addressed. Yeah. Um, that was on a Saturday. <laughs> I had built this up because I knew it was getting time. God had really put it on my heart that you really need to reach out to your mom. You need to reach out to your mom. So I had built it up in my mind that it was going to be this huge thing. She's going to hate me. She's going to have all these things to say to me. I called her. I finally get up the courage, and I call her that Sunday two or three times. She would answer. She couldn't work her phone, <laughs> and, and I didn't get to talk to her. And it was sort of like afterwards, I just giggled. Like, it was God's joke, like, see, this is really no big deal. And she called me back the following day. Mm-hmm. And instead of being upset with me, she said, I'm just so happy you called. I love you. Please don't do this again. And I, and I, I broke down. I said, I'm so sorry that I haven't called you and I haven't spoken to you. She said, it's okay. Just please don't do it again. I just want to hear your voice. So I will, uh, I'll pick this back up here in a few minutes. We are going to take a quick break and I'll tell you how God used this pain for purpose. Uh, for purpose. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. We're your hosts, Heather and Donnie. We're so glad you're listening. We really are appreciative of our eight listeners, as Donnie says. Um, All eight of you. All (laughs) of you equally. (laughs) We're talking about pain with purpose, turning pain into purpose. Um, And you were talking about playing the quiet game for your mom and then God kind of like nudging you internally. It wasn't sitting right with you, but that you were giving other men that you were sponsoring advice, mommy advice, while you were ignoring this huge chunk that you needed to deal with and what i love is that you did get back in her life and you were able to be in her life in a consistent way my favorite story when you've talked to her that first time Mm. you were so excited to tell your mom mom i'm a christian now and she goes honey you always were you were just lost for a little while your mom had such a level cry on the radio dude i'm just saying like this is really turning pain into purpose because your mom was still an active drug addict you know, it wasn't that it wasn't that she could not cause any more damage to you. She really couldn't because you were in a different place spiritually. And I think we humans give other people, we give it power to them to hurt us. We're like, oh, she hurt and me. We, and it's a choice. On it our is part. a choice. Yeah. It is such a freaking choice to yeah. allow someone to dominate you. And you allowed your mother's shortcomings to dominate you for 11 years until God held you to it. And it's funny, I I can't even tell you how many people I had sponsored up to that point. I have, since that 90 days, I have not stopped sponsoring and I'm at nine years. So you can imagine, I was, and all those people that I had sponsored, I I figured out how to be non-emotional with them and not let them have effect, but I didn't, couldn't figure it out with my own mom. Right. So, so we talked that day for quite a while and, um, and literally an hour later, my brother my younger brother, who had been taking care of my mom for years and doing everything. I, I mean, he really had stepped up and and, oh and been the. She would have been under a bridge you're the if oldest. Scott. Scott, you're the oldest, and so he was actually doing your job all these years that you were playing the quiet game. Scott was the one there, actually doing the hard work and, and making sure she had what Scott she needed. Scott was the one to put his life on hold and step up. I can't even tell you how many times he moved her, how many times this and that. So, within an hour of talking to her, he called me and he goes, "Did you?" Did you call? Did you talk to mom? Because he had been hinting for years. I mean, yeah. you know, he's really just trying to put the family back together. And I said, yeah. I said, yeah, we talked. It's, that, that's, that business is over. 
Um, and he said, hey, I do lunch with her on Sundays. Would you? And I said, yes. Yeah. Just absolutely, yes. Yeah. So by this point, my mom had some dementia issues. And so, sometimes sometimes I would show up for lunch and I'd be sitting there for a minute. And she would lean over to him and she'd go, who's he? Who is that? <laughs> <laughs> she didn't even know it was me. But I hadn't seen her talk to her for 11 years, so I can't yeah. blame, right? I got to meet your mom, I think, two or three times at those lunches, and uh, and I like her because she told me I was prettier than your past wives. Careful. <laughs> now, listen, going into this, you know, you never know how God is going to use you for his purpose, how he's going to fit you. Yeah. Right? So going into this, you, my thought is I have not been a good son. I have not been there for my mother. I have not talked to her. And what he wants is me to reconcile that relationship. Mm-hmm. So what do you need, Mom? I'm there. We're going to reconcile this. And so I start going to lunches. Now, prior to this, my brother and I, Scott, and not anything on his part, Scott has wanted a relationship with me our whole lives. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, we've just never really had one. Uh, Me and my younger brother, Eric, were thick as thieves, Mm -hmm. right? Probably because, you know, back at the time, we were probably both potheads and that was just something we could relate to. But I mean, we just always got along really well, even when we were little kids. Scott and I were never close. And what really happened out of this whole deal was that going to lunch with him and my mom and talking to him more and going through later, by the way, what what God had in store that I had no idea is that my mom passed two and a half later, mm-hmm. two and a half years later. So I remember I remember you staying in the hospice rooms with her and reading the Bible to her, just reading to her. She wasn't really conscious and all of that. And it yeah. was the end. And just the gravity, because you let Scott could go home and take a break. It was my and you turn. you could be there. It was my turn I to just, let him get a break. It's just so cool to look at how people can use shame, guilt, pain, past, whatever it is. And God turns it all around and God turns it into something completely different that you could not have planned. I go into that thinking that God really wanted me to rebuild a relationship with my mom. And I did. And what really came out of it is that my brother Scott and I are as close as we've ever been. The, and the the secret is is spinning it to help someone else. Mm-hmm. It's not about me, me, me and how it right. affects me. And that's I hear a lot of times where people then in the 12 step world, maybe they don't want to tell their story or they don't want to share something with their with their sponsor and all this. And they have it hyped up in, in their mm-hmm. mind like you did. And they just think, oh, talking about it's too painful talking about it. I'm like, no, the fact that you're you're going to continue suffering for the rest of your mm-hmm. life because you can't heal from this is what's too painful. Mm-hmm. And and so I see that a lot. I see people that won't tell their story or won't sponsor or won't say that or this or this secret. And they're going to stay in the painful, trauma, hurt space until they use it to help someone else. And so I want to encourage our listeners to look at anything that you've been through and what opportunities or doors God is going to open for you to use it to help somebody else. And the amazing thing about that is that I didn't talk to her for 11 years. And then we talk. We rebuild a relationship. I get to know her a little bit before she passes. The week that she's in hospice, I didn't, I almost didn't leave the whole time mm-hmm. uh, because I owed that to her. And I owed that to Scott to give him a break and and. and this was my chance to stand up and be the man that I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But what happened in that week was nothing short of a miracle. Mm-hmm. So I have an older adopted sister whom I love. I, she's so dear to me. And, but and, and, also quiet game. You hadn't talked to her since you were 21. Up to that point, 
she had been adopted and found us when I was 21, 22. And for whatever reason, I just never, I just never had a relationship with her. I was real stubborn about it. And I had not spoken to her in that week in hospice. I just said enough of this and I just let it all go. And I, she and I started building a relationship by August of 21. She and a bunch of the kids came and stayed at our our house house. for a week, right? (laughs) With like, what, five or six of our kids? And she and I are now very close, very close. She's an amazing woman. I mean, amazing. I could talk, we could do a show just talking about how amazing she is. And we should have her on the show. And then my, maybe when she visits and then my aunt and uncle who also came to the hospital when my mom passed. I hadn't talked to them in 20-something. We you, may be on to something here. Yeah. I may have a problem with grudges. Yeah, you hold on <laughs> grudges and you make them way bigger. In your, and a lot of people do this. This isn't particular to you. Yeah. Um, people do this. They'll think, oh, this person injured me or thought this of me or treated me this way 10, 15 years ago, whatever it is. And so you're still living in that spot 15 years ago. Yeah. And your behavior is acting like that still today. And it's not. And in that week, I let go of all. I, I literally left that hospital after I was able to usher my mom into heaven, right? When I was able to be there for her, which by the way is the most, this is going to sound counter to what people think if you've never done this, but it was the most honorable. It was the most amazing experience. And I'm grateful that I was there for that. Yeah. And, but after that week I had no more grudges and I've built an amazing relationship with my sister. I've rekindled my relationship with my aunt and uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a powerful lesson at when, when those grudges came off of me, when I just let them go. That was really, by the way, all I had to do was just say enough. I'm not doing this anymore. It was legitimately like a thousand pounds off my soul. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot tell you the relief that, that came off of me. Mm-hmm. And that started out with, with my pain, with my guilt, with my remorse, with my regret. And I think that's the whole kind of point of the book, Drop the Rock, right? And that's something that 12-step people are kind of aware of. But I think a lot of people should read it because it's really about we carry this baggage around tied to our neck from our past hurts, our past traumas, our past... And, our and defects, our sins. Our defects, our sin, our idols, the things we value more than spiritual growth, right? Self-centeredness in general. And we, we these things are like tied to our neck like weights that weigh us down and they're going to drown us. And at least yeah. self-obsession and misery, if nothing else. Yeah. For some of us, like you and me, it's drugs and alcohol too. Unless we figure out how to let go and really live in a different purpose-filled life for God. How can I use what's happened to me to help someone else? How can I find someone, even if I'm not in 12 steps? Mm-hmm. How can I find someone who's probably had similar experiences that I can share my growth and my experience with? That's where real healing occurs. Well, and I think this is why some of the happiest people I've ever met are also some of the most selfless uh, serving of others. True. So, don't go anywhere. We will be no, right back. No, this is back. the last segment. This, oh, is, this it. is it. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. So thank you for listening. If you want any information about Matthew's Hope Detox, give us a call eight four four two six three four six seven three. Thank you for listening. Hashtag God though. <laughs>